Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Bible in Life. So glad you're with me again today. Man, it's been super encouraging just to see kind of the growth of the podcast. And we've had a handful of new listeners in Canada. They've been listening like mad the last week. We've we've picked up listeners in other parts of the world, South Africa and uh, even some in Cambodia. And so, man, super cool. It's just amazing with the internet how this kind of stuff can just spread and people can have access to it. So wherever you're at, wherever you're listening, I'm super glad you are with me on this episode. And I, I really hope it, you find it very valuable and helpful to you as you try to follow Jesus. What we're going to do again in this episode is we're answering listeners' questions on prayer. I'm hoping to wrap them all up in this episode. Didn't get through quite as many as I wanted to last time. And we've got some really great questions today. So I just want to jump right in and begin answering these questions because some of these are just super, super important. So let's just jump right in, take that very first question. Let me just read you this question because I want you to hear the whole thing. It's a it's a super important question both biblically and practically and pastorally for us. This is the question. What do you do with Bible verses like this? Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you will receive it, and you will. Or again, Mark or Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Or again, in uh, Matthew, a little bit later in his gospel, Jesus said, uh, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, uh, you you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even say to this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea, and it will be done for you. What do you do with uh, passages like that when that sound like a blank check, right? That sound like Jesus is just saying, ask whatever you want in faith and you'll get it. And then you ask and it doesn't always work out. And how do we understand that, right? And the particular person who asked this question gave the context for the question about a a family member who had a premature child and numerous people were praying in faith, trusting, believing that God could heal this child, and the child died. What do you do with passages like like these that we just read when we know experientially we don't always get what we ask for? Very important question, both biblically and pastorally and practically. So how do we handle that? Well, Man, first off, I want I want all of my listeners to know I, I enter into this with a little bit of fear and trepidation, a little bit of sensitivity and compassion, because this is the stuff that makes prayer hard. Uh, this is the stuff that can be very, very frustrating, where it's like, God, aren't you listening? Don't you care? Don't you hear our prayers? Don't you hear our heart? And you're a good father, and we believe that. But God, this was an important prayer request. And so... I get that pain. I've felt that pain. I feel that frustration and that tension. And so I want all of us to know that uh, whatever answers I'm about to give come from that heart of compassion and sensitivity and, and even feeling that frustration. And as I personally have wrestled with that, man, I've just tried to try to really understand God on this and understand his word. And, and the first thing that I think is important for us to always remember is that really we need to remember what faith is. Faith is confidence in God's promises. Faith isn't just trying to believe that what we want to happen will happen. Faith is confidence 
in God's promises so that if God hasn't promised something, well, we can't, we can't have confidence that he'll do that. And God, to be honest, hasn't promised that he'll heal all our diseases. He has promised that he'll be with us in the midst of them. He's promised that um, if we believe in him, we will have eternal life even if we die. But he hasn't promised that he'll heal all of our diseases. There's even an interesting little passage in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, where Paul is talking about his co-worker in ministry, Epaphroditus, who has been sent from the Philippian church to bring him a gift. And somehow in the process, Epaphroditus got desperately sick, so sick he almost died. And Paul says this, I would have had grief upon grief, sorrow upon sorrow if he died. Wait a second, Paul, you've healed plenty of other people. Why not just stretch out your hand and heal Epaphroditus? And we don't really know all that's going on in that. It's a passing little comment. But what we do know is this, that even to there, it sounds like the Apostle Paul recognized that that healing Epaphroditus was up to God and God's discernment and God's will. And God hasn't promised that he'll heal all of our diseases. And we, we need to learn to accept that, even if we don't fully understand that. All right, then, what about these specific passages like we read, Mark and Matthew, about whatever you ask in prayer believing, you will receive these things. They certainly do sound like blank checks. And I wish I could say, man... Jesus, I wish you just would have clarified when you said that. Uh, It would have really been helpful to us uh, to have not stated it so so blank check-like, right? That would have been nice, but Jesus didn't. He stated it this way. And and my answer, for what it's worth to that, is I think we need to take Jesus' words in the totality of everything Scripture says. We can't take these isolated statements and pull them out by themselves without everything else that we we know about prayer, we know about God, we know about God's promises. We have to take the whole thing in the context of the Bible as a whole. And what we hear in that then is we hear passages where Jesus says or the apostles say that we need to ask according to God's will, that Uh, We need to pray in faith and yet trust God's will. Or we even hear passages that qualify blank check type promises about obedience and uh, being people who obey God. Or we need to trust that sometimes God doesn't always do what we want. And one of the passages that has really been powerful for me is a passage in Acts chapter 12 where the Apostle James gets beheaded by Herod. Um, And you can bet, though the text doesn't say it, it just mentions that, that people were praying for the Apostle James who had been put in prison, and they're praying for his rescue and his deliverance, and he gets beheaded. Well, Herod sees what happens and how it pleases the Jews, and so he decides to arrest the Apostle Peter, and the church is now praying for the Apostle Peter. And God actually sends an angel to break Peter out of jail. Well, if God can send an angel to break Peter out of jail, that means he certainly could have sent an angel to break James out of jail, but he didn't do it with James and he did it with Peter. And we're left to wonder, God, why in one case do you send an angel and do this dramatic answer to prayer? And in the other case, you don't. And the answer is we don't always know. We don't always know, but God isn't a 
a giant vending machine in the sky. And it's not just a mechanical thing where we punch in the right number, we pray with enough zeal and energy, and presto, we get exactly what we ask for. We know that experientially. We even see that textually, in this case in Acts 12 and in other places, that God doesn't always do what his people want. Um, and, And therefore, an important lesson in prayer is learning to trust the goodness and the wisdom of God, even when what he doesn't do doesn't make sense. We need to learn to trust that God knows best, God is wise, God is good, and there's a reason for why he didn't answer, and we need to learn to trust that. Now, that doesn't make it any easier. That doesn't uh, make sometimes our frustration with these passages like the ones we read any less real. Sometimes it is frustrating. We say, but Jesus, I, I thought I was praying in faith, right? And I thought you said, and we just know from Scripture that there's more to it than that. And those passages, though they sound like blank checks, don't stand alone. They stand as part of the totality of God's uh, teaching and God's revelation in the Bible. And we need to learn to, to hold those passages with I know that God can, I know that God sometimes does, but I know that God doesn't always do, and I am going to trust him. I'm going to be be faithful even when it doesn't make sense. That's a very, very important part of our spiritual life, a very, very important part of our walk with God. And so, um, so we can have confidence that God does answer prayer, We just can't always force God to answer our prayers, and we certainly can't hold God to answer prayers when he hasn't promised to do something, and he certainly hasn't promised to heal all our diseases. He hasn't promised to answer all our prayers for healing. Sometimes God's people get sick and die, and God knows what's best. Um, All right, difficult topic. There's a lot more that could be said. Um, It's a pastoral situation that I as a pastor have dealt with and approach with great compassion. Um, and I feel that frustration. I understand that because I've experienced that myself. All right. Hope that's helpful on that one. Um, a couple other um, real quick, just simpler, simpler uh, questions. One is this, how do we make time to pray? My prayer list is so much longer than the 10 minutes I seem to be able to find to pray. Um, well, I get that. It's better to pray for 10 minutes than not to pray at all. So pray for the 10 minutes you managed to carve out. One practical suggestion I would say to you about your prayer list is this. Maybe break it into five 10-minute chunks. If you've got that many things to pray about, break it into smaller chunks and take a 3 by 5 card and write your list on a 3 by 5 card. Use that as the bookmark in your Bible. So when you get your 10 minutes, um, you pray for X number of people on Monday and X number of people on your list on Tuesday and X number of people on your list on Wednesday, and at least everyone on your list gets prayed for in 10-minute chunks. Uh, Try that. Or uh, another really important thing to keep in mind is the key thing about prayer is learning to live a with-God life. That's the key thing about prayer is learning to live in partnership with God, to genuinely walk with God, not just praying through a list. 
So talk to God through your day as you go. Uh, maybe as something comes to mind, maybe if it's something on your list, just uh, pray that right then and there in that moment and just involve God in your day. And as you see people or see posts on social media that prompt uh, ideas to pray, pray for those things right there. Maybe even carve out two to three 10-minute chunks throughout your day uh, as a way of just staying connected to God throughout the day. The goal is not not just to pray through a whole list or even pray in huge blocks of time. The goal is to live a with God life. And so figure out a way in 10-minute chunks then or however it works best in your life to walk with God. All right, next one. How do we balance the concepts of praying our heart's desires with knowing that God knows what's best for us and our heart's desires may not be best and may not be within his will. How do we balance that tension? Um, my answer to that would be this. Pray your heart's desires. Pray your heart's desires. Just like a child asking his or her dad for something that, that really means something to him. Um, but then know that your, your heavenly father loves you even if he doesn't give you your heart's desires because he knows what's best, right? Those of us who have been parents knows that Every time our child asks for a soda or for candy, it's probably not best for them. And so we don't always do it because uh, we, we have a little bit bigger perspective. Well, how much more of a perspective does God have? And so pray your heart's desires like a child coming before his, his loving dad and trust God to be both wise and to be both good and to give you what's best. And as you walk with God and as you grow in maturity, your heart's desires change. And as your heart's desires change, um, your your relationship with God changes, right? That's what we, we expect with our kids as they mature. That's what we expect for ourselves. That's what God expects. I, I think that's really what's being gotten at in Psalm 37 verse 4. Psalm 37, 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Because as you delight yourself in God, your desires are increasingly His desires. They match up, and therefore God is more free to give us what we desire because our desires are more in keeping with His will, His wants, and His wisdom. And so, delight yourself in God, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And if our heart's desires are not in his will, then his will must be better than our heart's desires. We want to trust him with that. We want to trust his goodness and his wisdom. All right, a couple others uh, that people have asked. Uh, <clears throat> are certain people's prayers more powerful than others? Like if someone is really close to God as opposed to someone who doesn't have a very good relationship to God, is that person's prayers more powerful? The answer is sort of yes and no. Uh, James chapter 5 speaks of Elijah and says this, he had a nature just like ours, and yet he asked God that it might not rain, and it didn't rain. He asked him that it would rain, and it, and it did rain. But he had a nature just like ours. And so there's a sense in which just having a human nature uh, gives us the capacity to walk with God and to talk with God, and God be responsive to that. And yet, um, prayer, even in that passage in James 5, is... Uh, he has a nature like ours, it says about Elijah, but he was also a righteous man. The prayer, the effective prayer of a righteous man, it says, accomplishes much. And there is a sense in which having a, 
a, a solid relationship with God knows, helps us know more how to ask God for things, helps us know what to ask of God. And so it's not so much that certain people's prayers are more powerful because they're more powerful people, it's they're more in sync with God and they understand more how to ask God for things and what to ask God for. Um, is a lack of prayer sinful? Another question that came in, is a lack of prayer sinful? If we don't pray continually, does that require repentance? Um, I would say this. I would say that some people might call it sinful, um, but I'm not so sure that's appropriate. I think we need to distinguish both vice and virtue. And vice are things we need to repent of, but virtue are things we need to grow in. And so... Is the lack of prayer a vice? Well, certainly we want to be praying people, and we are called to pray continually. And so maybe, depending on the nature of our heart, there's a vice involved in that. But I think it's more important for us to think in terms of being a prayerful person. Living a life of prayer is a virtue we need to keep growing in. It's a part of a a mature human approach to life, to live in partnership with God, and prayer is a key part of that. And so... Do we need to repent of that? I don't know if we need to repent of that. I think we could confess that, God, I want to pray more. I I recognize I don't pray as much as I probably ought. And so, God, help me to pray more and help me to continue to grow in that and grant me the grace and enable me to be more of a person of prayer as we confess that. We also need to remember that we live this relationship with God. We live this life. We practice prayer and other spiritual disciplines in what I like to refer to as a circle of grace a circle of grace where God's demeanor towards us is one of grace and graciousness and our 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 response to him is one knowing that we're we're favored and loved and treated kindly that his baseline emotion towards us is grace love and mercy so we're not beating ourselves up we're not striving we're not all stressed out we are under grace and in grace Romans chapter 5 verse 1 we have peace with God we stand in grace and so We might want to grow in prayer, but we don't need to beat ourselves up about that. All right, another another good question that uh, I really want to get to is this, is how do we differentiate the Holy Spirit's answers from personal desire and opinion? This is really, really important uh, because we... We can very easily run the danger of subjectivism. I I have personally been told uh, things like, well, I prayed about it, and therefore I know God's at peace with me divorcing my spouse. And and in this particular case where I was told that, it was like there was no adultery, there was actually no abuse, uh, and even if even if there's a good reason for that, we know that that's not God's best, God's will, what God desires, right? And we can just so easily convince ourselves because we prayed about it that that God, you know, our own opinion is God's opinion too, right? And that's a huge danger. So this question is very, very important. Um, and and we need to think this through. And the person who asked this question says, I'm, I'm actually looking for something other than to see how it lines up with Scripture, because if that's the case, then why, why pray? We just need to open up the Bible and see what Scripture says. And there's truth to that. The, the problem is the Scriptures don't address every specific situation in our life, do they? They don't address all the variables, all the ins and outs. Sometimes they just give principles that 
actually maybe help point us in a direction. Um, And so they don't address every situation, but the scriptures do provide one kind of key check to make sure that uh, our decision-making is in keeping with God's will. And so even though they don't address every situation, the scriptures do help counterbalance that risk of subjectivism by saying, here's what God wants, here's God's will, and we need to learn to listen to the scriptures in that regard as we're trying to sort out God's will. I think of it like uh, sheep in a sheep pen. The scriptures provide the fence for the sheep pen. They tell the the general will of God that provides a fence, and with inside that fence, with inside that general uh, will of God that's described in Scripture, we have a lot of freedom. And sometimes we're not choosing any anything between right and wrong. We're choosing between. Uh, good, better, and best. But we have a lot of freedom in there as long as we're with inside the fence, right? The fence of God's will revealed in Scripture. So um, we have some freedom in that. Um, So the question is, how do we differentiate the Holy Spirit's answers from personal desire and opinion? Um, And personally, the only way I know to do that is to be within that sheep pen, within that fence. Um, and I think it's also important for us to remember that God doesn't want to have to tell us everything to do. Um, that's not his dream for his kids. His, his dream is to bring his kids to maturity where they can live in wisdom. Their, their mind and heart has been so formed by and shaped by what God has revealed in his word that now they have wisdom. And in the specific circumstances of life, they can make choices that, that are wise, good, godly choices. They have to take responsibility for those choices. And those choices may not always turn out the way they hope, but they're good, wise choices shaped and informed by the known will of God revealed in the scripture. In addition to the scriptures, I would say, how can we differentiate? Well, there's the wisdom of spiritually minded and mature advisors that we could bring into our life. Um, so my answer to this is, I, I'm, I'm really, I guess, a little bit leery of saying, well, the spirit told me. I think the spirit can prompt us to do things, but it should be in keeping with the way of wisdom that we see in scripture. Um, and in those specific circumstances of life that aren't addressed by Scripture, we need to act wisely. All right, one last question that I, I, I think is important as we wrap up the, the, this, this section is this. If God already knows how, when, and where he will do things, well, then what difference does prayer make? What's affected by prayer? Does prayer change God's mind in any way? Right? Good, important question. So let me just briefly, for the sake of time, uh, give some thoughts and answers to that. Um, I would say what we see in the Bible is that prayer does make a difference to God. We, I think, for example, one case in the Old Testament, Hezekiah. He's told that he's, he's about to die. Isaiah the prophet is the one who was sent to him to tell him that. Hezekiah hits the ground, begins to pray, and even before Isaiah is out of the palace grounds... God says, all right, go back and tell him I'm going to extend his life. That God God did adjust his plan based on his prayer. Now, we don't understand how all that plays out, right? God is all-knowing. He knows everything that there is to know, according to the Bible. He even has the capacity to know the future. He certainly knows what he's going to do in the future. So, we don't We don't know how all of that plays out. We just know that biblically, what we see are examples like this one with Hezekiah, where prayer 
changes what God's going to do. Part of that might be because God also knows our prayers. If he knows in advance what's going to happen, he knows what we're going to ask and he can take them into account in his planning so that if we don't pray, those things don't happen. Um, We also know in the big uh, sweep of the story of Scripture that we were invited to be partners with God in ruling over this world. That was the whole point of creation in the first place, that we we were supposed to be like co-rulers with God under him, in partnership with him, caring for this world. And God is going to and is in the process of restoring humanity back to that position in Jesus. And so we, we in partnership with God, we pray, we ask, and we, we carry out this, this partnership, this co-ruler with God in our little sphere of influence. Um, and, and we see that God then responds and we're involved. That's just part of what it means to be human in a biblical worldview is that we have this dignity and this responsibility to be co-rulers with God. That's part of our design. And so we carry that out by talking to him and by praying. And then we trust that God's going to respond and interact with us and it makes a difference in the world. Again, we don't know exactly how all that happens. We just know that it happens. We see that in Scripture, and we know that we're invited to pray. And so um, we pray, knowing that God knows what we're going to pray, knowing that God knows what's best, and we live in partnership with God, and prayer makes a difference. Prayer changes the course of this world. And, and how God does that, that's up to God. Now, The questioner also said, the Bible says God doesn't change. And that's true. What it means by that, however, is God's character doesn't change. God's character doesn't change. That doesn't mean his plans don't change. That doesn't mean he doesn't respond to us. It means we know what God is like, and God in that sense is unchanging. It's not like God rolls out of bed, didn't have a good night's sleep, and God's got a bad mood today, and you don't know what God is going to do. Gods in the ancient world, all those false lower G gods in the ancient world, they were unpredictable. They were temperamental. You never knew what they were going to be like uh, in a given day, right? In the worldview of those lower G gods. But the true God, the creator God, the biblical God, he doesn't change. He is loving. He's faithful. He's consistent. He's kind. He's merciful. He's wise. He's courageous. He's good. That doesn't change. And so it's to that God that we pray. And it's to that God we, we impart our trust and our confidence. And we cast ourselves upon him, and then we trust him. And part of that trust is asking him, God, would you involve yourself in this thing I'm concerned about? It seems like it's in keeping with your will. God, would you do this? And would you give me the strength to act according to your will? And we, we can count on him responding graciously, compassionately, wisely, courageously, because that's who he is, and that doesn't change. Um, Hope that helps at least some of those answers. Man, there's so much more that I would like to to say about some of these things, but hopefully at least points you in a direction and helps you think through some of these things. Again, the most important thing I could say is this, walk with God. Walk with God. Live in partnership with God. Do that via prayer. Involve God in your life. Involve your life in God's life and live in partnership with God at school, on the job, in your family, in your neighborhood. Live in partnership with God so that what God wants done is increasingly done in and through you as you live in partnership with Him. 
All right. God bless you guys. May we be a people of prayer. Go in peace. I'll see you next time on The Bible in Life.